Yankees. I'm sorry if I upset you and you, you were not mentally prepared. Hello, fellow peacemakers. Welcome to Make Peace Not Be, a fun and informative podcast about making peace with yourself and the world. I'm your host, Lily, and we'll explore everything from climate change to plant-based to self-development and more. Follow me on my YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Make Peace Not Beef for episode highlights, bonus content, and giveaways. All right, let's start the episode. Hello, fellow peacemakers. Welcome back to episode 44 of Make Peace Not Beef. And today we're going to talk about holiday turkeys and food waste. So Christmas is around the corner. Talking about holidays, I don't actually celebrate it because my background is Chinese. And in our culture, Christmas is not a thing. Like we celebrate Chinese New Year, which is probably in February and that's about it. So every year when it comes to Christmas, all my friends are either flying back home, seeing their parents, or they have these massive Christmas celebration dinners. And meanwhile, I'm just like, "Mm, it's just another day. (laughs) But, you know, fortunately in the past, I have been invited by some of my friends, my Caucasian friends, to join them for their Christmas celebration. And it seems that like turkey is always a staple on the dinner table, not only during Christmas, but also during Thanksgiving and Easter. And in my head, I was like, huh, well, this is really interesting because, you know, my background is Chinese and there's so many different Chinese holidays. And for each holiday, we eat something different. There's like a special treat for that occasion. But it seems like in the Western world, (laughs) whenever there's a holiday that's worth celebrating, the family would gather around the dinner table and they would make turkey. Today, I want to talk about the tale of the turkey, which are extremely intelligent animals. And I kind of want to talk about what actually happens to the holiday turkey before it is served on your dinner plate. (laughs) Along with that, I also want to talk about another big topic, which I realized I bring up a lot, but haven't formally covered, which is food waste and the huge, massive, gargantuan, negative environmental impact of food waste on the planet. So let me start off by giving you a few statistics about food waste, because believe it or not, it is a huge contributor to climate change. So we waste globally around 1 billion tons of food each year. And globally, about one third or 33% of all food produced is wasted. Now in the United States and Canada, that number is closer to 40% of all the food, which means 40% of all the food we produce never end up being consumed and we just toss it out. Now, globally wasted food emits roughly 3.3 gigatons of carbon dioxide, which is responsible for 6% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And the irony here is, despite all this food that we waste, roughly 800 million people around the world still suffer from food insecurity and famine. And in the US alone, 35 million Americans suffer from food insecurity. And there are many Americans who still reside in areas that are considered food deserts that don't have adequate access to nutritious food or fresh produce, which is an egregious phenomenon. You know, the the magnitude and scale of our food waste 
Think about it for a second. One billion tons of food wasted, and yet we have close to one billion people who are starving around the world. Like, how is it possible? How how can I even fathom the situation, right? And this just speaks to the scale of global inequality, and unfortunately, misallocation and distribution problems that we're experiencing as a civilization with food. So later in this episode, I'm going to offer a few tips on how to reduce food waste, which is a massively important topic that I definitely want to talk about, considering the holidays is around the corner, and this is where typically a lot of food go to waste because we tend to make a ton of food, <laughs> and unfortunately, we don't end up finishing all of it, which is why I'm kind of seizing this opportunity to tackle this very important topic and raise awareness about the environmental impact of food waste, which is something that we can all do as individuals. But before that, like I promised, I want to do a special episode where I talk about holiday turkeys. Yes, I think butterball turkey is probably the the variety that you buy from your local grocery store or supermarket because it is the most famous brand, right? Everybody buys butterball turkey. I don't know how many people actually slaughter their own turkeys, but of course you know that I am vegan, and the reason why I want to talk about turkeys is because. I think the mistreatment of turkeys and just the love of cruelty is rarely discussed, but I think it has to be known. So some quick statistics first: around 87 million turkeys die every year alone in the U.S. So that's 22 million turkeys killed every Christmas, 46 million turkeys killed on Thanksgiving, and another 19 million on Easter. This is in the United States alone. Now. To put things into perspective, right? So turkeys actually have a natural lifespan about ten years, but they spend typically five months in a factory farm before it's killed. So to put this into perspective once again, if the average human lifespan is around eighty years old, then that's equivalent to killing a three-year-old child, a human child, which is pretty brutal. So turkeys don't nearly get to live out their full lifespan before they're slaughtered and end up on your dinner plate. But not only that, turkeys can actually fly at fifty miles per hour, which is a pretty amazing feat if you think about it. And turkeys are actually extremely sensitive and intelligent animals, very much like dogs and cats. They will actually purr when they're petted, and they all have distinct personalities. If you've ever taken a look at a photo of a turkey, you'll know that a wild turkey is a very majestic and magnificent creature. It is absolutely beautiful. But, however, unfortunately, you know, due to the scale of consumption and this massive appetite for turkeys during American and I guess also Canadian and maybe also many places in Europe, due to the massive appetite for turkeys during these essential holidays. In Western culture, the factory farms have to end up doing is that they actually genetically manipulate the turkeys to grow twice as fast and twice as large, to the point where they become so grotesquely large that they lead these fleeting and painful lives before they end up on the dinner plate. And the whole process is just extremely, extremely cruel and atrocious. So, first of all, their beaks and toes are actually cut off. To prevent these turkeys tightly packed and crammed in these dark sheds from scratching and pecking each other, and this process normally does not involve painkillers. So this is basically mutilation. And for some turkeys, unfortunately, it is so painful for them to eat with their mutilated beaks 
that they actually starve to death during their infancy after their beaks are cut off, which is really gruesome for me to like, even fathom in my head. Now, because like I said, they're genetically manipulated to grow twice as fast and twice as large, very soon they become immobilized by their own weight and they become prisoners of their own bodies. And oftentimes these turkeys will experience leg and joint pain due to swollen joints and crippled feet, and they will experience heart attacks because they're so fat, along with organ failures. And most of these turkeys raised in factory farms, the ones that you eat, cannot reproduce naturally due to their sheer size. So they actually have to be artificially inseminated, which is another extremely painful process. Now, back in episode two on my podcast, I kind of talked about how female cows are artificially inseminated. First, you have to manually make an ox ejaculate and then take the semen. Then through this metal tube, you then like insert it and shove it into a cow's vagina. And that's kind of what happens to turkeys as well. It is an extremely painful and cruel process during which they become artificially inseminated. And when these turkeys grow to 14 to 18 weeks old, which is like less than a year, then they are ready to be transported to the slaughterhouse. Like I said, they lead very fleeting lives. Their normal lifespan is 10 years. We're talking about 14 to 18 weeks old. That's when they're ready to be killed. And what happens is the slaughterhouse worker typically just grabs these turkeys by their necks and throw them into these crates. And it's very common for them to cause turkeys fatal injuries and death in the process of transportation. Now, in the United States, I believe it is legal to go for 36 hours without feeding the turkeys. So some of these turkeys actually die from exhaustion and starvation. And sometimes they freeze to death in the winter and they die from heat stress in the summer. Even worse, (laughs) I just want to talk about this one case of investigation. Mercy for Animals, uh, which is an organization, has actually done some undercover investigation on Butterball's turkey factory farms. And they found out that the mistreatment of turkeys in these factory farms actually marked the first ever case of felony conviction for animal cruelty. In addition, PETA, which is the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, which is probably like the largest animal protection organization in the States, also did a separate investigation on turkeys, which reveals intentional torture of the turkeys, possibly worse than concentration camps during the Holocaust that are taking place at these factory farms all across the States. So they found and documented the way the employees, the slaughterhouse workers were treating the turkeys, and they found that they often kicked and stomped on and threw around the bird. And that it was very common for them to attack the bird to instill fear vent frustration or relieve boredom. And often, slaughterhouse workers laughed at the terrified turkeys after jostling them around. And these turkeys were hung by their broken legs and were often used as punching bags. Now, it is also very common for employees to crush the skull of the turkey with their foot. And another employee was reported to have slammed the turkey against the handrail so hard that her spine became exposed. And these employees also shove feces and feed into the turkey's mouth while holding their heads underwater. Now, another case of violence against turkeys. So another employee was bragging about jabbing a broomstick two feet down a turkey's throat. And at the slaughterhouse, turkey's throats are slit and these turkeys are often boiled alive. 
it was just like after I I read the investigation report, I didn't even know how to feel because I just think about the level of desensitization these slaughterhouse workers must go through in order to endure this on a daily basis. And if you've ever read about reports of studies done on slaughterhouse workers, they typically report more cases of domestic violence at home, cases of alcoholism, and also mental illnesses. It is extremely difficult to be a slaughterhouse worker. So I empathize with their situation. Like the way they treat turkeys is just, it, it horrifies me. But at the same time, I can only fathom the amount of pain that a person has to go through or you have to condition yourself to numb yourself of the pain that comes with killing thousands and hundreds and, and you know slitting thousands of turkeys on a daily basis it is just unimaginable for me it's inconceivable so animal agriculture i believe torments both the animals as well as the slaughterhouse workers and so i firmly believe that it is about time that we put an end to this brutal industry now, I understand that a lot of my listeners who are not vegans or who are dominant carnivores who primarily eat meat in their diet might think, well, we eat meat for necessity because meat is nutrient dense. But I would argue that the way we grow animals in modern factory farms, they're injected with a ton of steroids and antibiotics and they're swimming in their own feces and they're stressed out all the time. I don't know how much nutrient you can derive from that. But in addition to that, just the level of cruelty involved here makes me not want to contribute to any of this. I personally would just love to obliterate animal agriculture and just wipe it off the planet permanently so that it's gone for good. I don't ever want to see any animals being treated like this. And even if I was a meat eater, which I am not, knowing this is how my animals treated, I would not want to eat that turkey. So... That's the horrifying tale of turkeys. I'm sorry if I upset you and you you were not mentally prepared for the level of brutality here. Um, it is absolutely atrocious what we do to turkeys. And of course, this is not only unique to turkeys. If you research into the poultry industry, it's exactly the same thing if you look at how we treat dairy cows, which is why I am so firm in my messaging that I believe the future is a plant-based one. Or until we find a viable way to produce lab-grown meat on a, on a massive scale, I would say plant-based is the future. But also vegetables are really delicious. And, you know, you can get protein from lentils and beans and also seitan for those of you who are n not gluten-free. And there's just so many protein sources that are not meat. <laughs> so, which I won't cover in this episode. But I really urge you to reconsider if you're still thinking about what to prepare for this Christmas dinner, I highly, highly encourage you to have a turkey-free Christmas. As your probably perhaps very first Christmas dinner without turkey. And I'll suggest a couple of more compassionate choices <laughs> for your Christmas dinner. And also the next Christmas and all the Christmases after that. And also the next Easter and Thanksgiving. So first of all, if you're just like a diehard turkey fan and you just have to have a turkey because it is part of your culture's tradition then why not opt for Tofurky and Gardein, which are both plant-based turkey options that you can probably buy from your local grocery store. Cruelty-free and probably way less calories and definitely does not involve any of that gruesome stuff I talked about earlier. Alternatively, you can just choose not to eat turkeys for Christmas. I know it is a tradition, but 
you know, there were so many traditions in the past that we have abolished because it doesn't make sense. And, you know, us as a civilization moving forward, we're constantly abolishing and abandoning old traditions that no longer apply to us in today's day and age. So why hold on to this Turkey tradition, knowing how turkeys are treated behind the scenes and knowing the steps of cruelty that they had to have gone through before they end up on your plate. So I suggest why not make a vegan mushroom wellington using portobello mushrooms, spinach, and puff pastry this Christmas holiday as the centerpiece dish. I won't give the recipe here, but if you Google mushroom wellington, you're going to get so many delicious recipes online. And I highly, highly encourage you to look up the YouTube videos as for how to make that dish. It looks absolutely delicious and scrumptious, and it's probably way tastier than a stressed out turkey. So that's that, which is the first part I wanted to talk about, which is our mistreatment of turkeys, which I absolutely hope to end with this episode. And I would highly, highly appreciate and urge you to reconsider what you have for Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving going forward. (laughs) But the next topic, which I want to talk about is food waste. So going back to food waste. So earlier I talked about the egregious level of food waste that we (laughs) produce as a civilization on a global scale. And the fact that there's still so many people suffering from famine and hunger, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Out of all the food that we waste, especially in Canada, around 44% of that is residential and it comes from households. And then followed by commercial level food waste in restaurants and hotels. So if 44% of food waste is coming from our homes, that means we have a lot of power over that, which means we can probably do better to reduce our food waste. So today I'm going to share with you four ways to reduce food waste and to reduce your environmental impact as well. And these are super easy tips. I just want to share with you, like this episode is not overly scientific or (laughs) like some of my previous episodes. This is just like simple things you can do in your daily life to reduce food waste, right? So the first thing is that you can do to reduce food waste is to freeze, freeze, and freeze. So you have a freezer. (laughs) I'm sure you do. If you have a fridge, you probably have a freezer. Use your freezer. It is your friend. You can freeze your bread, bagels, muffins, any kind of baked goods if you're not going to finish them in time, right? Because usually when people buy them, it comes in bulk. If you don't finish it in time, it's going to rot and go bad. So make sure you freeze all your bread and muffins and things like that to keep it fresh. And then whenever you need it, defrost it a day in advance, put it in the, the fridge underneath for it to defrost overnight. And something else you can freeze, believe it or not, are sauces and stocks. They can actually be frozen and you can put them in these ice cube containers, which is a really great way to freeze them, right? And in the future, you can like take them out of the freezer and use them for cooking. So like vegetable stocks, um, pasta sauces, things like that. Um, Try it. So another fruit I really like to freeze personally is grapes. I think grapes when you freeze them they become a really delicious icy treat that you can just take out of the freezer and eat it almost tastes like a sorbet (laughs) but better and the same that goes for bananas right and also nuts such as almonds cashews can also be frozen so definitely take advantage of that there's so much food that we can freeze so that we don't have to toss them out when we don't finish them on time so that's the first tip use your freezer now the second tip is to organize your fridge properly. So what does that mean? So food that's going to spoil the fastest, such as vegetables and fruits, should be kept in crisper drawers at the bottom of your fridge. There typically is one. Otherwise, they should be placed close to the front of the fridge and at the top where you can see them so you can consume them more quickly. 
So I suggest that it's good to invest in a couple of glass jars and containers that can keep your food fresh for longer, and you can also label your containers with dates so you remember when to consume them. Now, keep your food whole instead of chopping them up because chopping food into small pieces is going to make them spoil faster. And also make sure you clean your fridge regularly because keeping your fridge clean and tidy can avoid contamination, which is going to speed up the rotting process, right? So make sure you organize your fridge properly and you keep it clean and tidy and make sure food that's spoiled the fastest should be consumed the earliest. So they should be placed close to the front of the fridge. That's my second tip. Then my third tip is to buy imperfect produce. <laughs> so I know it's so easy for all of us to pick the perfectly plump and pink apple without any blemishes, you know, the banana without any brown spots or bruises. But a lot of the times these produce are perfectly fine and nutritious and edible, but they're tossed out simply because they don't look perfect. We now have model standards for our food. And that's a shame. But actually, what I found out a few months back is that there's this really cool company called Imperfect Foods in the States that actually offer a subscription service for delivering produce door to door. And they specifically source their produce responsibly and they source a lot of imperfect produce to reduce food waste, right? These are produce that otherwise would not have made it to the grocery store because they're not quote unquote pretty enough. And I believe they offer this subscription service for a much cheaper price. So if you live in the States, my fellow American listeners, be sure to check out Imperfect Foods. And they also offer massive discounts from time to time, especially for students. So make sure you take advantage of this deal and get produce delivered to your door. Now, my last tip for those of you who have the means to do so is to compost. So methane is a potent greenhouse gas released when food waste goes to landfill. And methane is actually 26 times more potent than CO2 in its global warming potential, or also known as GWP in its contractive form. And I talk about GWP a lot. I also talked about it in a previous episode where I talked about HFC, which is like hydrofluorocarbon, which is... Another warming gas often used in refrigerants, which is really speeding up global warming. So I think I previously erroneously said methane was like 80 times more potent than CO2, but then I I consolidated with a few scientific papers and it turns out it's more like 26 to 33 times more potent. But anyway, it's a lot more potent than CO2. That's all you need to know, more by like tenfold. So we need to try to reduce methane. And why am I talking about methane now? Because landfill gas is around 50% methane and 50% CO2 due to anaerobic decomposition. Whereas when you compost, the organic matter goes through aerobic decomposition, meaning oxygen is evolved. So you actually produce just CO2 instead of half CO2 and half methane. This is actually not a bad thing in this case because, like I said, methane is a lot more potent when it comes to its warming potential. So composting is a way to reduce methane and it also nourishes the soil in the process. For those of you who are wondering, well, how can I compost? How can I get into composting? I don't know anything about composting. So if you live in a townhouse where you have a backyard in your home, that's where you can build like a compost pile. And I'm not a, I'm not a composting expert, so you have to look up videos of how to compost in your backyard. But that's probably the easiest way. If you have a backyard, take advantage of it and start composting there. Or the other option is sometimes you're building 
has um, a composting chute. Like back when I lived somewhere in uptown Toronto, I'm not gonna mention where. My building actually, <laughs> my building actually had um, a composting chute, which is really nice. So I actually separated like my food waste. But otherwise, you can also go to a composting facility. This is probably more inconvenient for those of you who live in a condo and things like that. But there are also there are also subscription services for composting. And typically restaurants would direct a lot of their food waste to a composting facility. So a composting facility is a special facility that speeds up the composting process. Which now reminds me, I should probably bring up something else, which is PLA or corn-based plastic or biodegradable plastic, all those things. So I'm not sure if you noticed, but in recent years, you're going to see that when you order takeout sometimes, and if you pay close attention to the plastic lid, sometimes it will say PLA or biodegradable plastic. And then in fine print, it will say only if you take it to um, an industrial composting facility. The same with a lot of plastic cups nowadays at coffee shops, they're actually compostable. But even when it says the plastic cup or the cutlery or um, the plastic lid for your takeout container is compostable, what they only mean is it's only compostable in a commercial composting facility. Like it doesn't compost if you just leave it out on the street or in landfill. So make sure you take it to a composting facility. And if you don't know where is the nearest composting facility, I think if you go to any like fairly sustainable restaurants, they should know and point you in the right direction. And they might even have an in-house composting facility. So take advantage of that. So those are my four quick tips to reduce food waste. Uh, use your freezer, organize your fridge properly, buy imperfect produce, and then if you can, compost. And obviously, you know, there's like the obvious tips such as, you know, buy what you need, like don't overbuy. We just typically tend to overbuy a shit ton of stuff and then we never end up eating any of it and we toss it out. And just keep in mind that out of everything that we throw out, Vegetables is probably like the biggest culprit. Like vegetables make up the vast majority of food that we waste because they spoil so quickly. So next time you go grocery shopping, make sure you don't buy a shit ton of vegetables because they're just gonna rot in your fridge. <laughs> so, you know, make more round trips to the, the grocery store if you need to, but buy what you need. And I actually recently started to have another idea. I think for those of you who don't cook, maybe opting for a um a meal kit or delivery service might be a good idea because i was reading that hello fresh which is a meal kit delivery service actually reduces like food waste by like what 30 something percent because they bypass um all this like supply chain and transportation and they deliver di directly to your door and they only give you what you need for that meal so they actually help to reduce food waste so i think like huh maybe i should do an episode on that in the future like how environmentally sustainable are these meal kit services and companies right because they claim to have a lower environmental impact compared to if you did your grocery shopping yourself which was really interesting but that's something you can look into and of course this episode is not sponsored by any meal kit delivery service although in the past <laughs> a certain company has sponsored a few of my episodes so yeah shout out shout out to CRISPR and they're also plant-based which is really great so yeah, that's that. And another thing is, I guess, be more smart when it comes to food labels. So there's actually a difference between best before and used by and best used by. It's very confusing, but I think one of them is like, you have to eat it before this date and, the, and another one is like recommended. So one of them dictates the quality of the food and the other one is like edibility. And there's a difference, right? 
So I think most people toss out their food prematurely before it goes bad. And, and it also has to do with the labels. A lot of these expiry date labels are suggested dates, but if you store them in the fridge, like they might last a lot longer past the date that's, that's labeled. So, and, and make sure if you open a jar container of anything, then you have to consume it in a timely manner before it spoils. So just having good habits overall, I guess. I mean, there's only so much that we can do, right? But on a closing note, because Christmas is around the corner, I don't know if I will release another episode before Christmas. I probably will. I mean, today's only December 13th. But then by the time this episode goes out, it's going to be like, what? I don't know, like next week. So if I don't see you again before Christmas, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. And if you're Jewish, I was going to make a joke about Hanukkah, but that's kind of inappropriate and also Apparently Jewish people get offended when you compare like Hanukkah to Christmas because they're like, that's not our Jewish Christmas. So I don't even know where I'm going with this. But yeah, I hope everybody has a safe and fun holidays with their families. And I hope this is a time of gathering and reunion and that you spend memorable quality time with your family. And while you can, opt for plant-based options instead of a traditional turkey dinner. And with that in mind... Happy holidays, everybody. Stay safe. And I will see you next year. Next year, probably. Yeah. (laughs) I'll talk to you soon. Peace. All right, that's a wrap. I hope you liked today's episode and found it helpful. Remember, you can watch the video version of this episode on my YouTube channel, Make Peace Not Beef. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate for more exciting content down the road. Your support is my creative juice. If you have any questions or comments, please head over to my social media on Twitter, Instagram at MakePeaceNotBeef, or shoot me an email at lily at MakePeaceNotBeef.com. That's L-I-L-L-Y. Feel free to check out my website, MakePeaceNotBeef.com, for more information. Alrighty, peacemakers, I'll see you in the next episode.